The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. I heard an amazing, amazing story. Not a good one. An amazing one. I was in Eretz Yisrael. A friend of mine is Rav Gaddisman. Now, you may have seen the story brought down. I think Nachman Seltzer writes a story. But I heard the story from the one who told it to him. Ari Gaddisman. I hope I got his name right. Otherwise, it's just going to be very embarrassing at some point in time when someone says, I got it wrong. He said the following story. He said that essentially that his grandfather, um, maybe it was his great-grandfather, an ancestor of his. <laughs> this goes back to World War I. In World War I, was fighting with the Germans. A lot of Jews were in the German army in World War I. And they were fighting, and they were in the Italian Alps. Germany was fighting Italy. And this particular guy, his job, his mission was to go ahead, to be a scout. He was a Jewish man, a religious man, I believe. His job was to be a scout, to go out, to see if there's any soldiers, and then to come back and tell the other soldiers and make sure that we can mount an attack. And he went ahead and he found these Italians on the mountains. Everything's snowy, everything's crazy conditions. And he goes out there and he sees a group of Italians. He goes back to his people and he says, all right, we found some guys, let's go. And they attack them. And they capture them. And they capture them, and they're going to take them back as prisoners of war. One of the German soldiers says, why should we bother bringing them back? It's such a trek. Let's just kill them here. It's snowing. It'll get covered over. No one will ever know about it. And then, well, you know, we'll be able to get through it, and everything will be wonderful. Don't worry about it. What do you say? Why don't we just do that? And this man, my friend's grandfather or so, says, not a chance. Not a chance. You're not killing innocent people. What do you mean innocent? There are enemies. Yeah, but even though they're enemies, they don't have any weapons. We take them away. You can't kill these people. You don't do such things. He says, listen, get out of the way. You either get out of the way or we're going to take you down too. He says, all right, let's do that. And he stands in front of them. He says, if you're going to take them down, you're going to kill them, you're killing me first. They're like, get out of the way. He's like, no. They say, okay. Fine, we'll take him back. They take him back. Fast forward. Tell him I'll call him later. <laughs> Fast forward. A number of years later, he's living in Chicago. He's living in Chicago, this young strapping man who was a soldier in Italy in the German army, and he is now living in Italy and he's working and sorry, in Chicago and he's working as construction. Working construction. And as he's working in construction, what happens one day? There's a terrible fire in Chicago. Very, very well known. Horrible fire. It destroys many, many buildings. And there was one particular building that got like the brunt of it. And him as a construction worker, he always needs supplies. So he went to the owner of the building. He said, do you mind if I go into your building and if I could salvage any sort of stuff that you're going to destroy anyway? He says, you know what? We have insurance. It's getting demolished. You can go and take whatever you want. So he backs his truck up. He backs his truck up to, the, to, this, to this, this building. He goes in and he starts putting everything in. He's taking glass. He's taking wood. He's taking nails. He's taking whatever he can take, chairs and tables, whatever is there that's salvageable. And after a long, hard day of working, he's, okay, that's it. It's time to call it to quits. And he goes over to wash his hands. There was a faucet. He turns on the faucet. He puts his hand in to wash his hands. And as he's washing his hands, he realizes the water is, doesn't look so clean. It looks very brown. And he's like, what is this? Disgusting. He figures it's from the fire, but then he takes his hands to his nose and he smells it and it didn't smell like water what it what was it so I'll tell you something amazing anybody remember I remember when I was a kid in the 1920s there was uh, 
there was a thing called the prohibition. And it was hard for me because I was an alcoholic then. I, I could be whatever I want then. Anyway, so you weren't allowed of alcohol, you weren't allowed to sell and whatever it is. And what happened was is that there was a black market going on and the mafia were collecting all of the alcohol they could find. And the police knew about it, but they didn't know where they stored it. Where did they store it? They stored it under this building. Under this building was a huge tank filled with alcohol, and this was the faucet for all of the alcohol. He just found the faucet. This guy's going to be rich. But as he's washing his hands and he closes it, he hears two guys behind him talking in Italian. And they say, Pasta, linguini, al dente, arrivederci, che bella faccia. Which means, oh no, he found our stash. That's word for word. The only Italian I know is my, my barber. When I grew up in, in New York, my barber, his name was, Italian guy's name was Tito. He used to say to me, Gabriel, che bella faccia. I said, what does that mean? He goes, you have a beautiful face. I said, get your hands off me. And that was, that's my Italian. But he goes that and he says, here's these two guys talking to each other. He spoke Italian because he was stationed in Italy. So he spoke Italian and he's like thinking, he's like, uh-oh, they're talking about it. Like, he found it. We have to kill him. So he plays dumb. You know, he like shuts it and he turns around and he goes, sees the guys are like, where do you think you're going? He says, oh, was machst du? <laughs> How is everyone? And they say to him, you're not going anywhere. Well, why not? What seems to be the issue, gentlemen? Is there a problem? He goes, no, no, we know you know. No, what? What are you talking about? Sit down. He's like, sit where? <laughs> no, kumsitz. We're having a kumsitz. Sit down. You're going to sing with the fishies. So he goes ahead and he sits down. They tie him up. They say, the big boss likes to deal with people like this. Okay. So they call the big boss and they say to him, boss, yeah, what is it? I'm saying, uh, marinara, uh, uh, olives, you know? He's like, what? Remember now, olives? Someone found the alcohol? He said, yeah. He said, that's how be right over. He comes in. So he walks into the room and when he walks into the room, he sees the two guys there. He looks at the guy tied up and he goes to his friends, to his two goons. He says, I'll take care of it. Get out of here. I said, boss, are you sure? Are you sure you want us to leave? Out. You heard me? Forget about it. Go. So they go. He looks at the guy. He's tied up. And he starts talking to him in Italian. And he says, tell me, where were you the night of, I don't know the night, but where were you during World War I? And the guy doesn't respond to him. He's speaking Italian. He goes, uh, yo no parlo italiano. Yo no parlo italiano. And he says back, I don't believe you. Where were you during World War I? He said, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he didn't say, I don't know, because his hands were tied up. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. He must have lived in Israel. I don't know. I don't know. So he says, I'll tell you where you were. You were in the Italian Alps. And he says, What? He goes, you were in the Italian Alps, weren't you? He goes, why would you say that? He goes, I know you're in the Italian Alps. He said, how do you know I was in the Italian Alps? He said, because I was also in the Italian Alps. He said, what are you talking about? He says, you don't remember? You were the scout, weren't you? You found a group of soldiers. You remember such a thing? Were you in Italy? He's like, 
okay, yeah, I guess I was. How did you know that? He goes, because when you turned around and said, if you're going to shoot them, shoot me first, I was standing behind you. And you saved my life. So if you saved my life, I'm going to let you go. But you don't tell anyone this story. When I told this story to my kids, one of them goes, well, I guess he told. Okay, he waited until the guy is gone and then he told the story. You think when you help someone else that you're helping someone else. When you help others, you help yourself. So at the very least, do we go to, do we daven for them? Do we do something? So then we get to the famous line, which you've heard before. The Gemara Bavakama says, Kolom avakish rachamim al chavero. davar. Anyone who davens for their friend. And they need the thing that they're davening for for their friend, they are answered first. Anyone who goes to such a thing, they're answered first. An amazing, amazing concept. You go ahead and you down for someone, you're going to be answered. But not only answered, you'll be answered first. Me, the connected me, the you got out of yourself or do someone else. Hashem said, I'll get out to do for you. Amazing. And I want to tell you an amazing, amazing, amazing happening that happened to one of my friends. He lives in Eretz Yisrael. My friend's name is Yisrael. Yisrael, Yisrael. He was zochet to have a child. He was zochet to have a child. But then he fell into what's known, many perhaps know, something called secondary infertility. He wasn't able to have other children. So he's davening and davening and davening. A year, two years, three years, four years, five years. After five years of not having children, he calls up. He had another friend who was going through the same thing. So he said to his friend, he says, how about... We daven for each other. Says Yisrael to his friend, how about we daven for each other? I'll daven for you, you daven for me, and then everything will work out. What do you think? He says, you know, great idea. So they go ahead and they start daven for each other. They start davening for each other. And they are davening for each other. They're putting everything into it. You'll see how amazing this is in a minute. The following year, they find out that each of their wives, respectively, are expecting twins. Each of them are expecting twins on the same date. The following year, they each gave birth to twins. But my friends had the twins a few days earlier. He suggests, what do you say? I'll dumb for you, dumb for me. But they both daven for it. And you can imagine they were daven for themselves as well. And when they were daven for themselves, so you get a bonus, you daven for him, one for him, one for you. Everybody gets the baby. You get a baby, you get a baby, you get a baby. They walk away with it. Unbelievable. You go ahead, you daven for someone else. You think that you're getting, you're going to, no, no, you walk away with something. We walk away with much more than we could ever imagine. The story is, and like I mentioned before, when I told my friend that I'm speaking about this, of Shlomo Farhi, we were driving in the city. We were on Lexington Avenue and 63rd. Do they meet? Anyway, we were there, I think. I don't know the city for the life of me. I don't know it. And what happens? They go out and they're sitting there. We're sitting there and he tells me, yeah, I'm like, do you know any stories that could help me about this idea? He's like, no, he's looking at his phone. He's like, I don't know any stories except for this one. This is the most incredible story. He said like this. <laughs> this is a phenomenal. And he said, but I can't tell you the story. I said, why not? He said, you can't tell it. I said, why can't I tell it? He said, because people might know who it is. 
So you can't tell it. I said, come on, it's a good story. Let me tell it. I said, at least tell me. So he tells me the story. I said, that's a great story. He says, but you can't tell it. I said, why? He said, the person might be upset. I said, call the person. So he called the person. Right there. This is two hours ago. And he calls the person. He says, I am sitting next to Gavriel Friedman. Do you know who that is? No one knows me as Gavriel Friedman. That's like my Clark Kent. And he says, uh, who, Ravgav? He's like, yeah. He goes, he's speaking and he has a story. Can, I, can he tell your story? He said, sure, why not? I'm like, great. Here's the story. I'm not going to say the name. I don't feel comfortable. And I forgot the name. Here's the story. There was a couple, and this couple couldn't have children. And year after year, they're davening and davening and davening. It's not happening. But they want to have children. And Chazal even say that if there's another way of having children, if you can't have children, call them a gadel. Anyone who goes ahead and raises a child, it's as if you gave birth to them. And there's a whole discussion that we've shown them. What does that even mean? How far does it go? Etc. But fine. So they decide they're going to adopt. So they adopt. They adopt a baby. And after they adopt one baby, they said, you know what? Let's adopt another one. They adopt a second baby. And after a few years, they adopt a third baby. And then one day they get a phone call from the organization that they were adopting babies from and said, listen, we, would never, we have never done this before, but we really, we really need some help. And if we didn't know you and we didn't know where you were going, we wouldn't do this, but maybe you could take another child. They say, well, what do you mean? Why? He said, because this child is, is connected to the previous children. And it'll be very good. It's, 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 it's a sibling of the children. And it'll be very good if you could take this one also. And they're like, okay. They think about it. And they say, you know what? Fine. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll go out of our way. It's not our own child, but it, they'll be our own child. And we'll do it. We'll give. We're worth, it's worth it. When he went to discuss this with his wife, though, I guess he made the decision on his own, or maybe they both made it. His wife then said a few days later, I'm just a little bit nervous. We're not going to have room. So he goes, what do you mean we're not going to have room? We have room in the house, and we have the three bedrooms. We have another bedroom we just made recently. It's no problem. We'll make them, we'll give them room. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I just came from the doctor. I'm expecting. Okay, so we'll make room. You know, what's one more baby? I mean, that's amazing, incredible. He goes, triplets. Yeah, you're right, we don't have room. I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll make it happen, you know? Should we not take the baby? No, we have to take it. We can't not take the baby. The baby needs to be taken. Three other siblings, how can we separate them? We're going to take the baby. So they had now four adopted children and triplets. Okay, so then you'll ask, well, hold on one second. That's not equal, right? Because it's triplets and then three, but there was a fourth one. Tomorrow night, this couple is making a chasana for the fourth biological child that they had the years after. They went ahead and they said, chesed, we have to help, we have to do. The Rebona Shalom says, you're not having children. I'm sorry. That's the emes. Chesed. You've just changed the emes. You changed the emes in a way that now, okay, I'm going to give you midah, can I give midah three? We'll give you three. Four, we'll give you a fourth. The chasana's tomorrow night. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.